Adventures of Ray and Rainy. Good morning, Raylene. Morning, Ray. It's almost Christmas. Oh, I'm not that excited about Christmas. Oh, no, no, no. You know what this means. Yeah, the war on Christmas, Ray. The, the, the atheists. Yeah, well, yes. They're taking it away. Oh, those pesky atheists. No, it means it means presents for you. Um, you've never gotten me a present, Ray. Oh, no. Well, apart from that anal bleaching voucher, but that was only 10% off. So I, I could only have 10% of my anus bleach, you know, austerity. <laughs> so this year, I've got you a pasta manning latte. The only man froth I want is yours. So this year... I've got you a nine-horsepower stainless steel bucket flanny flangeoscopier. Oh, my God, that sounds amazing. I'm frothing. Stand by, tsunami. This year, Why I... Why all jokes have to be genital-related? <laughs> Not this next one. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> this year, I've got you... A Bible. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> This year, I've got you an eight-horsepower solid gold bathroom mat. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> my flangina across it. Oh, like the like the puppy dogs in the backyard when they've got worms. Yeah, when they've got worms, yeah. <laughs> Sounds extremely arousing. <laughs> That's why I got it eight-horsepower. <laughs> so... So, this year I got you... Nothing. Chlamydia. (laughs) (laughs) So, this year I got you... A ride in a fighter jet over Turkey. That's, um, exotic, I think. (laughs) Am I going to (laughs) die? Hopefully. Oh my god, that's terrible. This year I got you minimum wage. (laughs) This year I got you an evening with the sheen peen. (laughs) Those jokes are such poor taste. They're so funny. This year. The Sheen Peen sounds like a really good cleaning product, you know, like oh, Silly Bang. Mr. Sheen Peen. <laughs> Mr. Sheen Peen. <Yeah. laughs> Have <laughs> 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 Wash put... it away with Mr. Sheen I Peen. can't put that to it. <laughs> yeah, you <God>. can't. <laughs> Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic non weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic, and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. This is a listener supported show, and you can help boost quality and quantity at herdmentalitypodcast.com and then click on support. Your contribution makes all the difference for the show, and 10% of it goes to women in developing countries. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. And it's time to meet our guests.
Hello, how can I help you? Yes, I've recently been listening to some of the things on your uh, podcast, and I have to be honest, I'm I'm quite offended at what you and your your friends are saying about religion, but I think I might have the solution for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, it, uh, it, it turns out that's because you haven't found the one true church. Ah, right. Well, I'm looking forward to this. Come on in. Let me get you a coffee, a Swedish massage, a glass of crystal meth. Take a seat. How can I help? Um, yes, uh, hold the coffee, please. Um, so let's, let's just get started here. Every person in the world has three big questions. They are, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Are you open to exploring the, the answers to these questions? Of course. I, my previous understanding of where did we come from is mummy and daddy love each other in a very special way. Uh, and then stuff happens. I wouldn't know anything about that, but I actually have a scripture that I, I would like you to read just to understand where we came from. Okie dokes. Well, uh... let me point it out to you. It's in our, uh, what we call the Pearl of Great Price, and it's in the book of Abraham that was actually written by Abraham himself. Oh, excellent. In chapter 3, and the passage is verse 1 through 3. Let's go. Abraham 3, 1 to 3. And I, Abraham, had the Urim and the Thummim, which the Lord my God had given unto me in Ur of the Chaldees. And I saw the stars, that they were very great, and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God. And there were many great ones which were near unto it. And the Lord said unto me, These are the governing ones, and the name of the great one is Kolob, because it is near unto me, for I am the Lord thy God. I have set this one to govern all those which belong to the same order as that upon which thou standest. Well, Bryce, that was boring. That's that. Well, that's just because you don't understand the full implications of this. Okay. This is where we all came from. We Bridget. came from the planet nearest to Kolob. That's the planet that God lives on, and that's where He had us as His spirit babies from His harem of wives. That's where we came from. <laughs> yes. See, see, yes. This... Exactly. You're right. It is. It starts to make sense. So let's let's move on to the next piece. Why am I here? Because that's a big question that everybody has, right? I, I was just asking myself that before you knocked. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm glad I came to you at the right time. I think the the Lord led me to your your door at this right time. This <laughs> next verse here. This is Second Nephi chapter two, verse twenty-two. Nephi two verses twenty-two to twenty-five. And now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created, and they must have remained forever and had no end. And they would have no children, wherefore they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. See, didn't that verse just speak to you specifically? I mean, I know that it was originally written for, you know, Adam and Eve, Adam, but, you know, just, I, I think the, the name there might just have some, some extra punch to it, just mm. because it, I mean, it has to mean something extra to you, doesn't well, it? Uh, yes, I mean, I can get on board with the not having kids thing. That wasn't God's plan, though. I, I mean, it, that's that's not what it was saying. It was saying that God's plan is to have kids, and then they would leave um, the Garden of Eden that was in Jackson County, Missouri. <laughs> I mean, that, doesn't that make sense, though? But Absolutely. Isn't, that's that's why we're here to have babies. It's all becoming crystal clear to me. This is 
<clears throat> I think I can get on Are board. Are you sure with that's this. not just the crystal meth speaking? <laughs> could could well be. Oh, you know when it, when I'm reading these, hmm, maybe yeah, the crystal meth is exactly what's required. So, uh, well, I mean, where to from so, here? We've, we've discussed the Adam thing. Yes, and that that's the big point of it is just you know it's all about Adam, but you know um, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. I mean that's that's the important part is. It was all in God's plan for Adam to fall and, you know, leave the Garden of Eden that was in Jackson County, Missouri. So then this kind of leads us to where am I going, right? That's that's the big question that everybody asks. That's the other one, So I'm yes. going to have you read a couple of passages here. Okay. Let's, this first one is Doctrine and Covenants, section 131. I'll lay it on you. Doctrines and Covenants, 131, 1 to 3. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees, and in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this new order of priesthood, and if he does not, he cannot obtain it. Crystal clear. Very nice. Yes, there it is. It's all about the celestial glory and the three degrees of heaven. That's where you're going. Okay, and uh, upon which evidence can I base this? Well, uh, it, it's upon the book in your hand, of course. I mean, don't ask that kind of question. Um, but this, this, the thing I want to focus on here is this new and everlasting covenant of marriage. Doesn't mm-hmm. that sound like a very promising and interesting term? You want to explore that with me a little bit? It's a big commitment. Uh, <laughs> I'll explore marriage with you. Let's go. Uh, fantastic. Wait, not not with me. Oh, uh, just 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 uh, marriage because we don't lost. we don't agree with that that whole. <laughs> Boy and boy thing. No, um, that's a- anyway. Anyway, yeah. Let's um, l- let me have you read Doctrine and Covenants section one thirty two for me. Okay, brace yourself. One thirty two, one to four. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have inquired of my hand to know and understand, wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principles and doctrines of their having many wives and concubines. Behold and lo, I am the Lord thy God, and will answer thee as touching this matter. Therefore, prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you, for all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. For behold, I reveal unto you a new and everlasting covenant, and if ye abide not that covenant, then are ye damned, for no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. So, no rejecting of covenants. Yes, yes, but the big part of it is the first verse in that phrase. That's that's the big thing that we're talking about here, that's this new and everlasting covenant of marriage. The thing that runs through the, all of these Bible characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, they all had lots and lots of wives, and that was the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. So that's that's what... The point is, that's where you need to go. If it, I mean, let's read one more verse here and you know tr- try and really get a handle on this. Do we have to? This is Doctrine and Covenants 132, <laughs> section 20, oh, verse 20. All right, hang on. I'll, I'll try and jazz it up. 132, 20. Then shall they be gods, because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods, because they have all power, and the angels are subject unto them. There's a lot of subject unto them. What's all that about? Yes, that is the almighty power. So that means when you die, 
you're going to enter into this everlasting covenant of many wives and concubines, and you're going to be God. You're going to be a God of your own little planet. Excellent. And you're going to have populate it with lots and lots of wives and lots of babies, and then you'll become God, and then you'll have power over the gods that come from that. It's this it's amazing, amazing thing. I mean, isn't this starting to sound really good? It's starting to sound really a lot like quite a few other religions like uh aren't the jehovah's witnesses into all of that no no this is the one true church okay but, i mean like i said i've heard you you and some of your friends say really offensive things about church but i think it's all just because you haven't found the right church that's the best part of it i mean once you find the real true church you don't need to go looking for anything else because that's it this whole idea that um, where you know that you came from and you know why you're here and you know exactly where you're going after you die doesn't that just sound really really appealing uh, well it does i mean everything about this is appealing I get to run my own dictatorship have lots of kiddies i couldn't think of anything i'd rather do less really but uh, look i'll give you one last shot to convince me let's go Okay, I, uh, let me have you read one more verse then. We got Doctrine and Covenants 132, verse 34. Bear in mind, I'm, I'm really struggling at this point. 132, 34. God commanded Abraham, and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do it? Because this was the law, and from Hagar sprang many people. This, therefore, was fulfilling, among other things, the promises. Sorry, do you mind if I uh, just put that down? Uh, 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 <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't know anything about what that, what any of that was. So um, I feel rude. Uh, no, no, um, that's you know, I this that's all part of the, <laughs> the proselyting is you know meeting new people and seeing what they're into, and obviously you're into a lot of interesting stuff that I had never heard about from my my uh, my Utah upbringing. Let's let's get back to that that passage in Doctrine and Covenants. There, I mean that's that's the point of all of this is having lots of wives. I mean that's that's what makes you a god is having lots and lots of wives. So isn't that I mean isn't that just the greatest thing you've ever heard about? You get to spend eternity having lots and lots of children. Lots of children. What about the poor gentlemen who don't have lots and lots of wives? It seems to me there's a mathematical issue here. Um. So I, I understand your question, and, you know, it's a very, very good question. Um, I, you know, I've asked it myself many, many times. But, you know, that's just one of those problems that we see here that we don't have a solution for. And, you know, we're just going to have to trust in Heavenly Father to uh, sort all of those problems out when we get up to, um, get up to the celestial kingdom. Oh, well, this all sounds very appealing. Where can I find out more about um, whatever nonsense it is we've just discussed? Well, you can always um, uh, learn much, much more about the Mormon church all over the Internet. There's lots of places that you can go to. Um, the, the church-run website is absolutely delightful, lds.org. <laughs> um, there's, there's the apologetics website. is Fair Mormon. But watch out. There's, there are some anti-Mormon sites out there like Naked Mormonism. Oh, tell me more I've about that. That, yeah, tell tell I, me more about that one. Oh, you want to know more about that one? Pray tell. Oh, um, well, you know, I don't personally know much about it, but I hear that it's this this podcast or something that this this guy named Bryce Blankenagle runs, and you know, I just 
he's very anti-Mormon, and he says some very mean things about the church. It's really, really, uh, just don't listen to it, okay? <laughs> Best avoid There's it. a lot of really bad information there. It's all false, and it, it won't lead you closer to Heavenly Father in the end. Would this uh, Bryce Blankenangle, uh, Blankenangle be an ex-Mormon by any chance? Um, from what I hear, you know, I don't know about the podcast very much because I don't listen to anything on the, the church that isn't put out by the church itself because that's that's sinning. But yes, um, I, I have it on good authority. He was born and raised in Utah, Mormon Mecca. You know, it's a, a lovely place. Temple Square is my favorite place to go and ponder things. Um, but yeah, he's he's an ex-Mormon and I hear he might even be an Ooh, now we don't mention we don't mention that show here on the herd mental uh, sorry in my kitchen yes please everybody that's listening do not go check out naked mormonism podcast it's a really really scathing take on mormon history it's it's just full of bad 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 information don't do it i have listened to a couple of episodes i must be honest and this this uh, bryce character has appeared from what I'm told on uh, such fine shows as Cognitive Dissonance and The Scathing Atheist and uh, and the like. So, um, to be honest, I actually don't mind what he's all about. It seems to be quite well-researched. I'd love him to do a book. You know, that's that. I don't, I don't agree with you. I think that's <laughs> really, really bad. Um, I hear he has been on some other shows, and I also found out that he's co-hosting a show that's reading the Doctrine and Covenants. It's on this uh, this My Book of Mormon podcast. I think you're familiar with that horrible person, David Michael. David right? Michael, what a what a pest! Right, right, absolutely horrible person. Um, but yes, um, I I know that he's uh, he's reading the Doctrine and Covenants with him, and uh, you know, there's apparently he just started up this this fundraiser on GoFundMe. And it's all about uh, making a deal for six months of living expenses for writing two books. I don't know how he's going to pull it off, but, you know, it seems like quite the quite the feat, quite the task. And, uh, you know, from what I hear, he could he could use some help and some sharing on that. So if anybody uh, uh, has the horrible drivings by Satan to help this person out, help them get the information out there about Mormon history, then they can go on to GoFundMe dot com slash six months two books and uh look up more information about it and they even see a picture of bryce's face on there ugh, ugh, ugh. Ugh. don't look at it too long mm. in the stone we're talking six months two books uh on gofundme i i think that bryce character needs a leg up the world could use some more skepticism when it comes to passages such as those that are i must admit i <laughs> struggle to find them convincing but um not Bryce. <laughs> Thank you very much for appearing in my kitchen slash the Herd Mentality podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Adam. It was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> well, now we've dropped all of that uh, facade. You you do do a, a crackingly good show. It is extraordinarily well researched. And the manner in which you tell stories, I find quite entertaining. It's, it's almost like an audiobook. Each episode, you can sit down and just go through it and find out how people were broken out of prison, what they were doing, who they were shagging, et cetera, et cetera. It's, <laughs> I think uh, it's, a, yes. it's good fun. What, you, what got you into the podcasting gig? Honestly, I just started on the, listening to a bunch of different atheist podcasts, and there are a lot out there that would touch on Mormonism or focus on Mormonism occasionally. 
but they would come up with topics or start discussing things in Mormon history that I knew were false because I've done a fair amount of research in it. So I just said, you know what, I want to set the record straight as possible and get uh, get the perspective of Mormon history from the people that were actually there and actually experienced it. So that's what the show does. It relies heavily on quotes from people that were there and affidavits and swearings and you know legal documents and um, basically build a narrative starting from episode one. Uh, Joseph Smith is born in Sharon, Vermont, December 23rd, 1805. And now uh, a year into it, Joseph Smith has just made his first exodus into Kirtland, Ohio with the church. So It's a relatively new religion. It's the almost as new as Scientology. And yeah. it's, it's all utter nonsense. But the difference between, say, this and any of the other religions is that there are actually all these documents that you mentioned that are fairly reliable sources or, or extremely reliable sources. How do you get access to all of that? Oh, fierce Googling, to be honest. To be honest, anything that I'm reporting or that I'm podcasting on, it's all been done. It's all been researched before. You can find any of the information that I provide very, very easily just by searching some key phrases. And that's one thing that I do is provide links to all my research in the show notes to anything that's important that I take sources from in the show. But so the, the research has all been done. The documents are all out there. We have hard copies of all of these documents that are oftentimes first-person accounts of situations that were happening. Mm. So and a lot of a lot of this I mean, stuff is is buried by the church. Very much so, and that's actually a bit of a problem that a lot of historians run into with uh, researching Mormon history. Is they say, okay, so we know that this person wrote a letter to this person. And we know that the church has possession of this letter, but we can't access it because they have it locked in the, the catacombs of Mormon Mecca, right? So that's something that Mormonism does really, really well is bury and suppress all of these uh, these documents that are really, really damning to the church. And uh, more of them are surfacing as as more scholarship and research is done. It was kind of like this: the recent revelation with the church of the, the seer stone. They put out the pictures of the seer stone. I don't know if you saw that in the news fairly recently. No, I missed that one. Oh, it was a good one. There's just this massive plethora of evidence that Joseph Smith was using a rock in the hat to translate the the Book of Mormon. (laughs) And the churches denied it, denied it, denied it for so long. And then finally the evidence built up enough. They were like, okay, so... Maybe he did use a rock in the hat, and maybe we have it locked in a filing cabinet, and maybe here are some pictures of it. We're sorry. So, (laughs) truth, honesty, this is one of the foundations of that particular religious sect. (laughs) Yeah, if you say so. When did you get Uh, out of it? It hasn't been my personal experience, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) But you you were a Mormon, right? So, how long have you been un-Mormoned? A third of my life. Um, I'm, I'm 24 now. I got out when I was about 16, 17. What were the implications? Basically the same shunning that you get when you leave like Jehovah's Witnesses or, um, any very strict religion. Um, mm-hmm. it was, uh, kind of unpleasant. <laughs> There's a lot of people that I, whenever I go home and visit my parents, when they see me in the neighborhood, they just kind of turn away or mm. you know, people that I used to talk to and say, Hey, how you doing neighbor? It's good to see you. They just, uh, they don't want to have anything to do with you because you're an apostate. You're on you're a suppressive person in their opinion. So mm. who's the leader of the church? Um, it's a uh, committee, um, of the quorum of the 12 apostles headed by the first presidency. So mm. they have, they, they, 
this is like the leadership, but they also have the church office building, which is the tallest skyscraper in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a massive, massive skyscraper of just office people that are employed by the church. So it's it's a full-blown conglomeration with unbelievable amounts of real estate holdings. They have uh, two multi-billion dollar malls that they uh, make a lot of money off of. They have a lot of uh, open-range real estate. Uh, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff about the Mormon church that I'm I'm coming to learn more and more uh, the longer that I'm outside and I, I'm actually doing research on it. So hence the two books that you're doing. That is correct. Yes. And the 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 first book is going to be uh, well, basically, it's going to be a non skating take a non skating version of the, the podcast and adapted the book format. So the first book is going to be about the Mormon history um, leading up to the publishing of the Book of Mormon, because there's so, so much history there and so many things to understand about the Smith family. Mm. And then the second book will just be a uh, very simple, basic deconstruction of the Book of Mormon, which is actually my most recent episode that I produced was uh, seven and a half hours worth of uh, talking about the Book of Mormon. And I had to cut a lot out because there's a <laughs> lot of really good information there. But <laughs> That's yeah, if anybody's interested in listening to the show and understanding what it's about, that's a great place to start, even though it may not be the most easy to listen to being seven and a half hours long. Well, if you enjoy running three marathons at a time, then perhaps that's <laughs> that'll get you through it. Bryce, I wish you all the very best with your endeavor. Uh, I'd love to see these books come to fruition. You're not asking for a whole lot. I think it's about two and a half grand to take six months of your life to get these two books punched out. Yes, that is exactly right. Um, $2,500 just to, uh, just to cover my living expenses, allow me to quit the day job for a six months trial period to, uh, see if I can become self-sustaining with the production of the books and the podcast. And then, you know, hopefully there's some projects coming later down the pike, uh, that I can turn my attention to once the two books are out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, a change in my life that I'm really looking forward to. And I think is, uh, somewhat needed, you know, in the secular community, the, the story of Mormonism really needs to be told uh, mm. by somebody that has experienced it and that, um, well, is continually doing research on it every single day. Yeah, it is well researched. It is very entertaining. I love your, your style. So head to gofundme.com slash six months, two books, and give Bryce a hand because it's some of the literature that is sorely needed, certainly for the 14 million Mormons out there who haven't read many other books. Yes, and we could talk about the the, the falsely inflated numbers there, but we'll we'll let that go until next time. How that sounds? <laughs> sounds good, mate. All the best. Tune into your podcast, Naked Mormonism. Check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And thank you very much for coming on. Absolutely, and thank you for all your help in the podcasting world, Adam. You're awesome. Oh, pleasure. Herd mentalists, hear me. Well, what a year it's been. Quick update due to a very, 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 very long list of complications with visas and getting married and stuff. The lady friend and I have postponed our move overseas. We're now staying in Australia for the foreseeable future and moving house over the next few months away from a construction site next door. So that's been frustrating. As a result, yesterday was my last day in the job that was driving me insane, which is the primary reason I haven't had a podcast out for some time. It was becoming too time-consuming. Appreciate your patience on that one, guys. So when word got out that I wasn't going overseas anymore, I was fortunate enough to have three job offers in two days. So there's a big overhaul 
of professional careers, etc. And I start a new job towards the end of January after a break. It's a field I enjoy and something I'm pretty good at, so I'm very much looking forward to that change of pace. Coming up on the show in 2016, I'll be having another chat with Iman, and I'm very happy to say that things are going well for her. So well, in fact, that she's going on a second holiday to Legoland with her family on their own steam. Things are looking up. Even better news there is that she's housing a Syrian refugee and we'll get to have a chat with him too. That fundraiser we did way, way back around episode 40 has continued to pay dividends. I couldn't have hoped for a better outcome. I'm very much looking forward to that chat with Iman. Also coming up in 2016, I'm looking forward to publishing my book called Upselling to Reality. It's been co-written by a listener of the show, actually, and it's packed with a bunch of surprises. In essence, the book uses sales techniques to sell someone an idea rather than engage in a debate. It's been great fun to write with Cliff, who's based over in the US. More to come on that soon. A quick thank you to Kendall, who volunteered his time and effort to edit much of the audio for this episode without his help. Uh, We wouldn't have been able to get one out before Christmas, so thank you, sir. In other news, I was on David Smalley's 24-hour podcast-a-thon. Broadcast of the podcast-a-thon. They raised over $100,000 for the Secular Student Alliance. An incredible feat. Well done, David and the guys, over at Dogma Debate. In my hour, with the support of a few herd mentalists, we were able to raise about $700, which was matched at the end of the fundraiser by another donor. So thank you very much for chipping in. If you've missed it, I'll link the video of my hour in the show notes for this episode. Speaking of chipping in, you can help the show get made by visiting patreon.com slash herdmentality. It's just a few dollars per episode, and it really makes all the difference. I'm thinking about ways to get the show produced more quickly next year, so a portion of the money you donate may well end up going to somebody to edit the conversations, which would free me up enormously to focus on the sketches and splinter views. Just a thought, patreon.com slash herdmentality. And the more people who help, the more content can be produced. By the way, 10% of the proceeds from this show go to kiva.org to help women in developing countries to further their educations. No illusions from the Scathing Atheist podcast. Could you please let us know who we've helped? Deep breath. Three, two, one. Tanavik in Armenia to buy a computer, Huang Zian in Vietnam for her children's education fees, Mian also in Vietnam and also also for her children's education fees, Nya also also in Vietnam and also 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 to pay for her children's education fees, Sonia in Pakistan to buy new school furniture and refurbish the old, Mitchell in Kenya to pay for school fees, and Wiam in Palestine to pay university fees. So thanks for making so many smart Vietnamese kids and a couple of smart people from other places along the way. Well done, herd mentalists. And happy holidays. Thank you, Noah. And a Merry Christmas to all. Have a fantastic 2016. Leave a review for the show on iTunes or Stitcher. And don't do anyone I wouldn't do. Questionable Adam, over and out. And joining me on the line from the Bible Built Central, I've got Joe. How are you, sir? Doing well, sir. How are you? Couldn't be happier. Your podcast, Unbuckling the Bible Belt. What goes on down below? Uh, basically, we uh, bring a Southern atheist, anti-theist perspective to uh, the podcast community, essentially. You know, mm-hmm. it's a couple of local yokels. Actually, two of us are from the Nashville area, and our newest co-host is uh, from Georgia, and uh, she has a definitely different take on life. <laughs> it's a little more, uh, a little more Bible Beltish down there. Mm, no shortage of nonsense to discuss? Uh, no doubt. Mm. That about that. 
where can we go and hear that? Uh, you can catch us on uh, at Unbuckling the Bible Belt on Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, iTunes. All the good ones. Yeah, I'll, you know, the big three, I guess. Hmm, but I got you on today because something you mentioned something to me when we were chatting off air about gay marriage, because this is now a thing across the whole U.S. You've only got to ask our good friend Kim Davis. Ah, yes. But what took my fancy was that you officiated a gay marriage. I did. I officiated my uh, my first marriage in general last weekend. I got uh, married my nephew to his partner, and uh, I was nervous, but it was pretty awesome. That's the whole. I got ordained just for that reason. As soon as the, uh, the Supreme Court thing came down, as soon as the decision came down, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it because I live in the South. I, I know that they're not going to be able to get married in a church here. And I mean, there's a few, there's a couple of the you know, Unitarian churches and stuff that would do it. But as a whole, you know, that people aren't going to do it. Mm. And a lot of atheists presumably uh, don't want to have anything to do with the church. So if you can avoid that, all the better. Oh, agreed. <laughs> agreed completely. But your nephew, he and his partner, are they religious? The nephew is, yes. Uh, I'm not so sure. I think uh, his partner, he's Catholic. He was, he was born in Ireland, but I, I don't know how much he actually practices. Mm. But I think they're both believers, yeah. Mm. Well, look, at the end of the day, it's irrelevant. Agreed. Mm. Agreed. So you're now on the market. Is that a fair thing to say? As far as... <laughs> as far as uh, helping gentlemen <laughs> yes. get into other gentlemen. Yes, I actually uh, I picked up uh, two more inquiries into doing some weddings while I was there. There were two other gay couples that were liking it. And so I'm like, yep, yeah, buy me a bottle of Irish whiskey. We'll talk about it. So... <laughs> Fantastic, and if people, I'm not, I'm not going to charge anybody because you know who am I? Yeah, look, that's, I think that's really cool. You're doing your service to the community in more than one way, and it's such a positive thing to hear. I really like stories like these. Yeah, well, I'm a dick most of the time, so I figured I got to give back. Well, the clues in the title there with your name, isn't it, Joe Kindick? Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> Where can we find you on Twitter? I'm at Joe Kindick. Pretty, uh, pretty hard to get to. Easy as that. And I'm also on Facebook at. Joe Kendig. And then our Facebook page, Unbuckling the Bible Belt. Actually hit our producer, uh, Chris Seathen Heathen. He's on uh, Facebook and Twitter. He's way more active on the social media than we are. Hmm. Regarding the wedding, how did it all go down? Tennessee has a really weird thing. Um, they were kind of like the state's not, was not, was really leery of online ordinations because they actually have it in the statutes here that you have to have a care of souls, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, that's part of the thing. You have to have the, the care of souls. And did you, care, like, well, did you care for the souls? I mean, how does one get accredited for such? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're a, uh, you know, a uh, justice of the peace, do you have care of souls? I actually told one lady, I said, well, I got a podcast <laughs> that I do every week. I care for their souls or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And but, that's um, enough to get you over the line. Yeah, that worked for me. Hmm. They wanted to, you know, keep costs down, and I think they were actually going to initially have a uh, congresswoman was 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 slated to do it, and I said, no, if you if you guys want me to do it, I'll totally do it for you. Oh, so fantastic! They were cool with it. Cool. How many people turned uh, up? Uh, probably thirty, ma- uh, mainly family. Actually, a lot of his family came in from like Ireland and um, Texas, California. Were there any notable absences? Um, the I wanted to say the the groom, but the the, the nephew. <laughs> His father's side of the family pretty much, were, they were against it. And um, I think one uncle showed up, his uncle and his wife. And then uh, the rest of the other people were like, no, uh, you're going to hell, blah, 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 kind of thing. 
So yeah, screw that. Yeah. If they ever want to get back in your life, they better they yeah. better beg to get back in your life after that. Sorry. What a sad that state does. of affairs, but uh, I hope they really were happy on the day. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, he surprised them. They already had their rings pre-bought, and then the uh, my other nephew, my who's like, gosh, she's like ten years older than I am, I guess. He uh, surprised him with coladas from colada rings from Dublin at the last second. So it was pretty emotional. I teared up a little bit. Aww. Aww. Yeah, I was nervous, dude. I was super nervous. Aren't you meant to be good at this sort of stuff, standing in front of a microphone and so forth, doing a podcast? Yeah, that's totally the same. (laughs) (laughs) Totally the same thing. Did you stuff it up? Uh, I did a great job. I actually did. And uh, usually I talk really fast because... I mean, I talk really fast. Usually people down here have to uh, ask me to slow down. So I was really nervous. And we had a fast service anyway. Yeah. So I had to kind of like ease it out. But I had a beer before I went out there, so that helped out immensely. <laughs> ah, some liquid courage. See, I yeah, well, I got married about a fortnight ago. And I tell people that uh, I was married in five minutes and 80 seconds because it sounds, <laughs> it sounds far better than six minutes and 20 seconds. So over and done with pretty quickly, you reckon? Oh, yeah. I bet it took – I bet the whole service took – three minutes maybe four i mean it, it took us longer to walk out there and get set up i think than the actual thing but i went with what they wanted you know i i even added five lines and it still went pretty quickly oh cool all right well joe thank you very much for coming on appreciate it engage dr dave hawks none other than dr dave hawks dave how are you sir I'm good, thanks, Adam. How are you? Couldn't be happier now that I'm so. Married. Marriage is going well then. Uh, yes, like I said off air, much the same as before, with more complaining. I won't repeat my comments from off air. Brilliant, and I'll cut all of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your Twitter handle at Mr Hawks M R H A W K E S, and also you've brought a friend, a friend of Simed. We've got Heidi on the line. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Your Twitter handle is at. Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, Howdy, H-O-W-D-I. And you guys are both involved with the at NRVAX supporters. What's that? Yeah, I'm an administrator of the Northern Rivers Vaccination Supporters Facebook group. We formed a couple of years ago in 2013. So we're based, obviously, in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. And this area here has a very low vaccination rate. Mullumbimby in particular has just under 50% of five-year-olds that are fully vaccinated. So we're a bunch of people that came together that were concerned about that situation and wanted to do something about it. That's us in a nutshell. Mm. I am also a member of Friends of Science in Medicine and uh, I'm a supporter of Stop the AVN as well. Cool. That particular area in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales has notoriously had quite a lot of activity from the anti-vax movement and Dave, what what's the percentage for a herd immunity to be effective? Uh, it really depends from, from pathogen to pathogen, but generally most people think around the 95% level. And it's important to people like you, Heidi, who are geographically located in that place, because this impacts your children, who may also, in, in this case, are vaccinated. Exactly. They're fully vaccinated, but because there's no herd immunity here, they're at much greater risk of contracting vaccine-preventable diseases. So it's a constant worry to the point where I can just be walking down the street or walking down an aisle in Woolworths and hear someone coughing and I will immediately think, is that whooping cough? Do I have to be worried about that? It's, it's just, it's all consuming. It's every, every single day there's, there's something to worry about with regards to um, 
this issue. I guess because I'm so involved with it with the Northern Rivers vaccination supporters, I do tend to think about it a lot more than the average person living here. Vaccines aren't 100% effective, Dave, are they? No, uh, vaccines aren't 100% effective. So there's there's two reasons why. The first is it just doesn't work for everyone. So um, I think the the lowest effective vaccine we have at the moment is the, the pertussis, so the whooping cough component of the DTaP uh, vaccine, which is still around 82%. So I keep telling people as if you were told that you could reduce your chance of getting black pay by 80%, you'd do pretty much anything. It's the same with whooping cough, which is a, a really quite a, a traumatic disease at any age, but particularly for, for young children, whereas other vaccines are much, much more effective. Like I, I do a lot of work with HPV vaccine, and as far as I know, after eight years, we have not got any cases of vaccine failure. That's, yeah, that's got a particularly high effectiveness, and that's because that those strains of HPV don't evolve as quickly as, say, whooping cough? Is that why? Well, whooping, whooping cough's a bacteria, so there's over 3,000 proteins in whooping cough. So it used to be when we had the whole cell vaccine, which had all 3,000 proteins mushed up in it, uh, you, you got a lot of protection because a bacteria can change one protein, but probably not 3,000, whereas the, the current situation in Australia has only three proteins for whooping cough, and the reason is that there's there's less side effects. So the problem is... Obviously, if you get a little bit of change in some of those proteins, it makes the, the vaccine less effective. With HPV, firstly, HPV is a virus. So instead of having 3,000 proteins, it only has a handful of them. And essentially, there's sort of two two proteins that are the, the ones that help the virus get into cells. And if you target one of those, it's really difficult for the virus to escape. So we don't know how things will happen over time. But after eight years, and I think we're up to about 270 million doses around the world, uh, it's going pretty well. But the other group, which I, I didn't get to, that the vaccines don't work for is people that can't be vaccinated. So you'd be aware of Dr. Mel Thompson, who's uh, been on your show before. Very well. Yes, yes. So Mel has been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and on her Twitter feed, she explains that she's uh, on immunosuppressant treatment for her MS. And as a result, she is unable to be vaccinated for certain things. And on the other hand, she is more prone to other sorts of conditions. And so she is sort of the face of this other group of people that is obviously young children, people that are immunocompromised, but also people that have things that you wouldn't necessarily associate with vaccine-preventable diseases or an inability to be protected, such as multiple sclerosis. Hence the importance of a herd immunity in a community. Well, yeah, they, they, they tend to use the term community immunity now, which is, does roll off the tongue quite well. And anything associated with herd tends to be a little bit dodgy, I find. <laughs> Yes, I'm 100% on board with that. So how effective are the anti-vaxxers? What is an anti-vaxxer and yeah, how much do we like them? I think Heidi's probably a good person to answer that. <laughs> she she deals with them. I, I'm very lucky. I live in the inner suburbs of Melbourne and my I, I went to my childcare centre and we have 100% vaccination rate. So really, definitely Heidi much better about this. Let's hear it. Well, it depends. Uh, when you're talking about anti-vaxxers, uh, I guess you're talking about the staunch anti-vaccination advocates that nothing, nothing is going to change their minds. There's no, there's no financial incentives. There's no uh, science or logic or reasoning or any amount of so-called debate. We don't debate them anyway, but nothing's going to change their minds. So that's one group. But you've also got people who I wouldn't really refer to as anti-vaxxers and, and they're the people that have, you know, normal 
concerns. Perhaps they're going to be parents for the first time and they're not really understanding why their baby has to have the uh, hepatitis B vaccine before they leave the hospital. Things like that, you know, so they've, they've got legitimate concerns, but usually those people will discuss their concerns with their GP or their midwife and, and then they'll go on and vaccinate their children. And you've also got a group of people who aren't vaccinating purely because of access issues. So there's a few different categories there, I suppose. It, it's, it can get all quite complicated. From a marketing perspective, though, the anti-vaxxers just seem to thrive on this emotional issue. You know, I, the, the, the reason this, the logic gets thrown out the window is because it's so emotional. Should we be perhaps fighting fire with fire here and showing pictures of dead kitties? So there is actually some research that has been done into how to, how to actually combat parents who are on that borderline between vaccine hesitant where they're just genuinely after information and those that are non-vaccinating parents. It's a bit up in the air and I'm not that across it because it, it seems to be uh, a growing, rapidly growing field. But by showing people the results of diseases, there it, it does tend to actually make them more likely to vaccinate, if I'm, I'm remembering correctly. So that sort of emotional thing is, but threats and things like that don't. So if you show somebody the effects of sort of, you know, really severe measles that's that's really different than what a lot of people think of them as and so it's it's really it's quite a wake-up call and and certainly babies that are on incubators because of whooping cough is again incredibly emotional i guess the other group that heidi didn't touch on but is unfortunately painfully aware of is professional anti-vaccinationists so you look at sort of the the avn the avsn the anti-vaccination uh, the Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network. And over the time they've been going, they've had a, an income of over $2.6 million. So if someone was paying you $2.6 million, you would come up with anything and just sort of keep throwing things at the wall until something stick. And so obviously the emotive issues are, are their bread and butter because the scientific issues are, they're, they're every every time they present something is a scientific issue. So first it was EMMR and then, you know, Studies with hundreds of thousands of people showed that that's not linked to autism. And then it was the thimerosal. And again, more more studies shows it wasn't the thimerosal, which is something that contains ethylmercury, which is very different from the methylmercury that accumulates in your body. Then it was the formaldehyde or the aluminium, and they will just keep rolling through theirs, but they don't actually ever present any meaningful case other than buzzwords. And so the emotive issues are pretty much where they have to live. Uh, so speaking of buzzwords, Dave, penis, vagina and anus, what have you been up to? Well, I, I, I again, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for allowing me to film your honeymoon. Um, <laughs> Dave. It's, well, his wife's French. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> What's that got to do? Okay. <laughs> Some more emotional marketing for you. Let's, okay. Let's stick to the facts, Dave. What happened, what happened in Australian Parliament? At the moment in Australia, we have a legislation that's being put forward to the Australian Parliament, which is called No Jab, No Pay. And overarching point of this policy is that since 1996-1997, there's been certain payments tied to vaccination status in Australia. And if you didn't want to vaccinate, you could go to your GP and have a conversation with them and they could sign a form. You could be listed as a conscientious objector. You can still get the payments, but you don't have to be vaccinated. Earlier this year, they launched this policy, which was essentially removing the conscientious objector they were going to leave in the medical and the religious. Um, in Australia, we didn't have a blanket religious ban or blanket religious get-out-of-jail-free card for vaccination. In fact, it was very, very specific to the Church of Christian Scientists. And Christian Scientists actually got in touch with the government and said, no, we're actually okay with it. 
people can make their individual decisions. We we don't have any policy on it. So the religious exemption is also gone in Australia. So it's you can't get out of vac- you can't get out of these payments to vaccination unless you have a legitimate medical uh, exemption. And there is a, a number of different things that could qualify for that. Mm-hmm. But the also thing the government did is they rather than having a, a couple of payments linked to this, they actually linked a few really popular payments such as the childcare rebate. So I have a toddler who goes to childcare and we get back 50% of his childcare fees up to, I think it's about $7,500 for the year. And if you don't have your child vaccinated and don't have a medical exemption, you will no longer be able to get that payment. So hence, no jab, no pay. In Australia, we have two houses of the parliament. We have the House of Representatives. Hang on, uh, Dave, this bill- uh, sorry, Dave, can I just interject there? No jab, no pay is sort of a, a continuation of no jab, no play. Do you just want to run through that quickly? Yeah, so... A few years ago in New South Wales, uh, there was a policy introduced at a state level called No Jab, No Play, which I'm not – it changes from state to state. Victoria has also just adopted it, and Queensland, I think, has just adopted it as well, and they're all marginally different. But essentially, it means that you have to present your vaccination status when you go to childcare. And I know in Victoria, the childcare centre now has the ability to refuse a child that doesn't have – that is not fully vaccinated. So this is this was essentially about childcare because there are – I've got legal advice that in Australia we can't do the same thing with schools because it's considered a right to education, but childcare centres uh, fall outside of that. So the states, three of the three largest states in Australia now, have linked sort of information about vaccination status to childcare clinics. No jab, no pay is a federal, so that's the entire Australian government. And so the two things are quite complementary, and essentially, if you're vaccinated, you have nothing to worry about either of those policies. Fantastic. Back to the two houses of parliament in Australia. So we have two houses of parliament. Any legislation has to be passed by both of them. So this, I, I will state that this policy has bipartisan support. So the Conservative, the Liberal and National Government uh, launched it. And on the same day, the Labor, who is our opposition, uh, supported it. And the Greens, who are probably the next biggest party, also support it. Uh, they've got a couple of reservations about sort of supporting access and things like that. But uh, as far as I'm aware, they still support it. So it's gone through the House of Representatives. It's passed. It's now into the Senate. And what happens when st- legislation goes to the Senate? They have a committee and an inquiry. I think they've had 88 so far this year. And as a part of my role within Stop the AVN, a submission was put in. It was put in by uh, Dr. Patrick Stokes, a philosopher, and Dr. Rachel Dunlop, who's obviously a, a scientist and uh, a leading vaccination advocate and we were asked to be witnesses. Now, Dr. Rachie was busy in the lab doing other things, so I was pretty much stepped up to take her place in some respects. Dr. Patrick Stokes is a philosopher and also John Cunningham, who's a surgeon and also epidemiologist, uh, were there to represent uh, Stop the AVN, and this was on the 2nd of November. How did it go? Well, I think you can probably ask Heidi, who was also there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I so wish that... um that Dave and and John and Patrick had been in the same room to actually witness that all going down. It was interesting. Um, So it was was in Brisbane, as Dave said, and myself and Dr. Rachel Heap, who's another administrator of the Northern Rivers Vaccination Supporters, along with Alison Gaylord, the three of us caught the train up from northern New South Wales to Brisbane. We got to sit in the room with the professional anti-vaccination people, which was fun. First up, there was um, Meryl Dory, former president of the AVN, but she was there. And a big fan of Dr. Dave's, I understand, is Meryl. Yeah, yeah, number one fan. Um, (laughs) She she actually, um, the AVN 
or the AVSN, as they should be called, is based in northern New South Wales. So she wasn't there as a representative because she's no longer the president. She was there presumably in a private citizen capacity. There was also a couple of other anti-vaccination people who are very well known in this sort of circle that we find ourselves in. So they gave their testimony first up. And then Senator Richard Di Natale, the head of the Greens, was on the committee. He wasn't there in person, unfortunately, but he rang in. He asked a couple of questions of them, which they took exception to. It kind of all went downhill from there. And yeah. um, wasn't especially productive, was it? Thank you. Um, uh, now we'll go briefly to questions. Senator Di Natale, did you have questions? Um, yes, thank you. I might, uh, I might just start with the... Um, AVN. Now, you've referred to yourself as the AVN on a number of occasions through this submission. Uh, my understanding was that um, you were instructed to change your name. Can you, uh, can you explain to me why you keep referring to yourselves as the Australian Vaccination Network? Um, I'll respond to that by, by saying what on earth relevance does that have to this inquiry? Well, I'll and that number two... I'll get, that to, I'll get to that in a moment, but I'm just interested okay. in, the, in the reasons for the uh, representation of yourselves as the Australian Vaccination Network when, you were, uh, when you've been instructed to change your name. So just, just want an understanding. When, as when to I whether... was president, it was called the Australian Vaccination Network. And Chair, is this well, relevant? It's not, it's not relevant. It's not relevant. It, the, the, hang, hang on, order. The, the witnesses are entitled to ask questions. Um, it, we tend to have a fairly wide-ranging discussion, so um, you know if you, if you you're entitled to answer the question how you like, but I'm not going to rule out Senator Denatale's questions. He's entitled to ask his well, questions. I'll answer, I'll answer it with this: I'd like to know why you haven't recused yourself from this panel, Senator Denatale, given the fact that you've very publicly shown your derision for the people who this bill is going to most affect. Why haven't you recused yourself? You should have nothing to do with this process whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Order, um, I'll witnesses and, and, and um, people in the gallery to just keep order as best we can and uh, there's no need for applause and like. I understand strong feelings, but we'll, we'll try, and, try and have a, a back and forth with questions. So, I'll, Senator Dean Tully, continue. Chair, I've asked just a specific question. I'm, I'm um, keen to get an answer. It's actually quite a serious issue because... Um, a ruling has been made, and I'm concerned that uh, this organisation is representing themselves in a capacity in which they're not able to do so. So I just, I'm, I think it's important that we understand uh, the rationale for, for them representing themselves as a group um, to which they're not entitled to do. So I'm just, that, that's where I'd like to start. Now I'd like to intervene there. Okay. Um, certainly, I've made it clear in terms of the name uh, when I introduced them. Uh, I, I'm not going to stop them from saying certain things. These things are on the record and you've, and you've now noted that uh, in terms of that. So obviously that's then on the public record and it's on the Hansard record and people can, people can read that uh, and be aware of it. It's good to see, Senator Di Natale, that you're doing great work for the sceptics. I've been a member of the Greens since 2001 and I'll have to tell you now I think you're a, a disgrace to the Green movement and you will end up like the Australian Democrats at the next primary. Your primary vote is going to be gutted like the Democrats. So well done. Well, we'll try and we'll try and stick to answering questions if we could, um, uh, Senator Di Natale. Thank you, and um, Chair. I just uh, again, I just uh, urge you to um, 
ensure that the uh, the hearings conducted in in uh, the spirit in which most of these hearings I'm, are conducted. I'm, I'm I'm certainly doing my best, Senator Natalia, and I'm giving you the call. And and obviously, sure. I can't I can't instruct witnesses how to answer, but I would ask people to all be respectful to one another. We have limited uh, time, so I, I'm hoping that we can actually concentrate on the issues here and not worry about what Rupert Murdoch and News Limited want you to say right, today at this hearing. Mrs. Miss, Senator Natalia. Uh, so on, on um, given that the, and we can go to questions. Yeah, given that the hearing today's hearing isn't actually about the effectiveness of vaccines, I'm um, uh, more more interested in the credibility of of, uh, of the witnesses here today. Now, the um, in terms of the evidence provided by the um, Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network, uh, there was a ruling made by the Health Complaints Commission in New South Wales that the information they provide on vaccination is, and I quote, uh, misleading to the average reader because it's either incorrect, inaccurately represented, or because it's been taken out of context. And that was a ruling by the Health Complaints Commission in New South Wales. Um, what, have, what has the organisation done to correct uh, the way in which they present that information? How is that different today? Uh, compared with the manner in which they've presented information on this issue in the past. About the AVN, there's a lot of groups here that aren't represented by the AVN, and you're wasting a lot of our time. I know Mr Murdoch wants it's you to ask these question, questions, Mr Denatari. Yeah, 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 a group of witnesses, uh, and I think we need to It's going to be virtually impossible if people speak over one another. Now... I can't, I can't order Senator Dean to tell you what questions to ask. He's entitled to ask his questions and you can choose to answer them in whatever way you like. We are almost out of time and it is unhelpful. So, so, so there was a question. I missed most of it, but uh, if... if I, 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 okay, but... I'm not going to instruct. I'm not going to instruct senators how to ask their questions. They're all entitled to ask their, ask their questions. We are, we are virtually out of time. If someone would like to address the question that Senator Natali has. More questions. Okay. Well, it sounds like that's a. It sounds like there will. Sorry, sorry, Mrs. Kemp. Would you like to answer? Yes. Well, we've used all the time. So I'd like to say some more things. We've got an Order. 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 It is, it is unhelpful when we have several people speaking at once. I would ask that we have one person speaking at a time. It, it wasn't productive and it, was, um, it didn't do them any favours, I have to say. It just turned into a bit of a mess, didn't it, Dave, really? Yes, I mean, the, the question that Richard Di Natale asked, Senator Richard Di Natale, was that the AVN refers to themselves as the AVN, whereas they've actually been instructed to change their name to the Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network. Now... That was the question. I said, well, you know, why do you refer to yourself? And the answer is we are the Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network. There's a hyphen between vaccination and skeptics. Our acronym is still AVN. So that's the answer. But that seemed beyond them and they got angry. The other question that Richard Di Natale asked uh, was that there's a Healthcare Complaints Commission statement that is a warning about the AVN saying that they produced misleading information. And uh, Senator Di Natale asks, okay, so this, this statement was put about, about that the AVN produces misleading information. I guess it also should be noted in 2013, the Australian Senate actually also passed a motion to uh, call for the disbanding of the AVN for producing misinformation. So it's a fairly consistent view of them. And he just asked them, what have you actually done to change 
the way you approach things so that you're no longer producing misinformation, which again is a pretty reasonable question because, you know, if someone said, I used to smoke 40 cigarettes a day, someone says, do you smoke now? You go, no. That, that's kind of, that's the level of question we're talking here. <laughs> it, it's you a, exactly yeah, what it's was a happening. It's a pretty binary equation, isn't it? Heidi and David, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us.